Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we are here today to discuss the 138th issue of Win a Toys R Us Shopping Spree. Grand prize, minimum value, $3,000. Details inside, X-Men all new. Do you think it's possible that this Toys R Us shopping spree is still valid? I submitted my uh, entrance fee today. Did you? I hope you hear something back. <laughs> this is the October 1980 issue, which was on sale July 15th, 1980, and it is titled Elegy. is also a price hike in comic books. It now costs 50 cents. Right. The previous issue was 75 cents, even though because it was a double-sized issue, but the issue before that was 40 cents. Absolutely. I'm not sure what this all-new is about. I mean, of course it's all-new. It's a brand-new issue, you know, in October of 1980. Well, maybe they felt like because they weren't listing... Since they dropped the uncanny from the last two issues, hmm. they... They wanted to say, maybe this is like an all-new direction. I mean, Could be. it says Exit Cyclops. Huh. Well, maybe. Yeah, it does say Exit Cyclops. In the background, in kind of like a shaded uh, blue hues, you have Iceman, Colossus, Wolverine, Beast, the Professor, Storm, Angel, and Nightcrawler. It's true. So that's interesting uh, that Iceman is included, but I well, suppose he's in the issue. He is actually in this particular issue. The backdrop of this is kind of like pink uh, tones of some classic issues. For example, the death of Professor X, the birth of Phoenix. Um, those are the only ones that I can readily tell. The new costumes issue in the lower right-hand corner. Yep, yep. Yeah, this uh, this cover is actually fairly timely because my wife found a, I think it was a Groupon for a bunch of, uh, it was either a Groupon or a Woot. I think it was a Woot, actually. For a bunch of Marvel, well, actually just geek-related uh, canvas-based pictures. And uh, apparently these things retailed for 150 or so dollars. She was able to pick this one up for 80 uh, And what it is is it's a collage of X-Men covers and panels. And then there's a, like in the foreground, there's just a giant Wolverine jumping out. And it's pretty sweet. And he's all like, Futzers! Yeah, uh, I can't, I don't know who the artist is who drew Wolverine. It, I mean, it's a good drawing of Wolverine, but it definitely suffers from some Rob Liefeld feet. The feet are terrible. <laughs> Perhaps it was Rob Liefeld. Yeah, there's not enough hash marks on it, but, uh, but you know, it's got like the uh, cover to issue number 100. It's got uh, 101. It's got classic X-Men number one, one of my favorite covers, and then just a whole bunch of random panels. It's just pretty sweet. I'm going to say it is a John Byrne rendition of Wolverine, either that or Frank Miller. I've decided without even seeing this cover or this picture, I I know it's one of those two. It's it's good. I don't know if it's John Byrne, but I don't know if it's Frank Miller either. I'll have to send you a, a, a copy of it, a picture, if you will. But anyways, yeah, the, so that was very timely that, that that arrived. And then we're reading this comic book, which has got a very similar collage on the cover. So there you go. <laughs> 
It's also quite timely that today is the 138th day of the year, and uh, I just made that up. <laughs> it's going to be like, Adam, that's cosmic. <laughs> All right, let's open this sucker up and get it going. Uh, this one's written and co-plotted by Chris Claremont and John Byrne, who also is the penciler. Terry Austin is the inker. Tom Orzachowski is lettering. Glennis Ween is the colorist. Luis Jones has taken over editorial duties. And Jim Shooter still remains in charge. And we learned that Jean Grey was 24 years old, or perhaps 23. It's amazing to think that if you died in 1980 and you were 24... That means you were born in 1956. Crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so this, again, is another point in the comic book where it firmly locks it in time. Indeed, we are in 1980. It is, it is official. And uh, attending this funeral are Professor X, Wolverine, Colossus, Aurora, someone who I assumed was Nightcrawler using his, uh, what was his little gadget he has to change his image? The image inducer. Image Inducer. I thought it was him, but I guess it's not, um, as we'll find out later. Oh, is it? Is that Sarah's husband? It must be Sarah's husband. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's Sarah and Sarah's husband, and then a, uh, a priest, and Mr. and Mrs. Gray. Uh, Lalandra has decided to make an appearance, and then we have Scott, uh, Bobby, Warren, and uh, Beast. Beast, who is presumably wearing one of his rubber masks. Hank McCoy, that is. Well, well whatever his name is. It's a pink background, a bunch of leaves fluttering around, and uh, Cyclops is thinking to himself a lot about how much Gene means to him. This issue is essentially a recap of X-Men 1 through 137 through the eyes of Cyclops. Kind of. Actually, I wish it was from the vantage point of Cyclops. It's more like rent reimaginings of very classic and similar panels from the old issues. But I wish it was like Cyclops POV. That yeah, that would actually have been kind of cool. Well, it's 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 the words are all his. So yes, I, I guess that's what I mean by his point of view. Um, obviously, the images are all not his like view viewpoints. Although, yeah, that would have been neat. It would have been an interesting idea. So as we go through it, uh, he, he, he did, life was so much simpler in the beginning. Xavier established his school for the gifted youngsters to seek out mutants and train them. And then we, we do the little flashy thing. Well, we don't do that in a comic book, but it would be cool if it made that noise and it got all wavy. And then you see the old X-Men kind of uh, jovially fighting, not fighting, but... Uh, uh, Tussling. Wasn't it uh, the professor's like, I will allow you five minutes of free time. <laughs> Do with it as you will. Oh, I want to punch it, that guy. <laughs> this is essentially kind of a reimagining of a panel straight out of issue number one, um, as are the next three. So we, we get to see the arrival of Jean Grey and some of the similar dialogue. We get to see the battle with uh, Magneto reproducing Angel holding the bazooka that he didn't actually have in the issue, but he had on the cover. Yeah, this is kind of like a recreation of the cover, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I've got a bazooka! <laughs> I have no idea why I have a bazooka since I will never, ever carry one again. Uh, and then you get to see um, the he, Cyclops essentially says like, Although we didn't stop them, we were able to force Magneto away, and that was our baptism of fire. 
they thought they were pretty hot stuff until the professor started winning all the battles. Interesting points out. to note is uh, that on the cover of X-Factor number one, uh, it, it says Baptism of Fire. <laughs> I don't think they're related at all. I think it's just a very commonly used phrase, but, but there you go. It's stuck with Chris Claremont, apparently. I don't think Chris Claremont actually wrote Issue or X Factor. I think it was somebody else. Oh, was it Louise Simonson? Or I think it was. Else? I think it was. Okay. I, I get that stuff confused. But anyways, they talk about how they got trounced by the Vanisher and then meeting up with Blob and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and that sort of stuff. And then he talks about the orphanage, which is kind of cool. As time passed, I became increasingly attracted to Jean, yet I said nothing, did nothing. I'd been hurt too often, too deeply, in the state orphanage where I grew up. I was determined not to be hurt again. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So in canon, does he, I mean, we know he was adopted, but has he ever talked about the orphanage no, we only found out about the orphanage from the flashback when they started doing those uh, secondary stories in, in oh, the later classic issues. X-Men. Oh, oh, no, no, no. I see what you're saying. Uh, uh, the, in the, in the backup stories in the original run. The origin stories that they did. Yeah, yes. where he faces the living diamond. That's right. Uh, talks about the professor uh, doing his little trip. I think that's when he went to go fight Lucifer. And he became kind of the deputy leader. Oh, you're jumping ahead. I mean, oh, he talks man. about uh, he talks about Quicksilver and uh, Scarlet Witch, and how eventually they became Avengers because in their in their hearts they hated what Magneto made them do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they they became uh, uh, charter not charter members, but uh, respected members of the Avengers eventually. The uh, the panel that you mentioned where the professor uh, leaves us for a while to pursue various unfinished projects. He didn't tell us what they were, and being good students and loyal X-Men, we didn't pry. That's kind of a retcon, because they did sort of go on to the Lucifer mission. They had, they had to go all the way over to Britain, and they met up with the Avengers, and they fought Lucifer alongside the professor. Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of read it as, like, we didn't even second guess what the professor was doing. Because if you look at this panel, this is a panel that happens uh, prior to them f- finally going to rescue the professor. So, right. I don't know. I just took it in, in line with, this is when he's sitting by Cerebro monitoring it, steady beep. <laughs> Everything is okay. Everything is okay. Everything is okay. In the prior panel, we we get some of uh, the initial uh, reminder of Professor X's dickery, where we had dickery. found that he he claimed to have lost his powers and that he sent the oh, X Men yeah. to fight Magneto alone. At the time, none of us thought to consider our fate had we failed. <laughs> the professor's a dick. But it was a graduation exercise. The professor wanted to see how well the X Men functioned without his constant aid. So, yeah, right. It definitely uh, underscores his dickery. I like that word. (laughs) But it also shows that Chris Claremont probably read these same issues and was like, God, why are these X-Men like, look at what this professor keeps doing to these students. (laughs) And so these characters are kind of being re-portrayed as like, oh, happy-go-lucky, the professor's got our back. Uh, he's got a grand plan, but it looks like kind of in retrospect, as he's thinking about these things, he's like, yeah, we didn't question them, and maybe we should have. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think this is also Chris Claremont's way of writing the Lucifer story out of the canon. <laughs> <laughs> right, you don't get Lucifer mentioned at all here. Uh, Scott talks about how Warren also cared deeply for 
Jean Grey, and it hurt deeper than he ever let on when he finally discovered that Jean loved me and not him. I don't know how he knew that. Maybe Jean Grey got into Warren's mind and, uh, you know, let Scott know about it later. Yeah, Warren was really hurt. <laughs> Maybe it's like part of the whole psionic link. Like, as soon as they were linked up, he's like, oh, man. Oh, I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but anyways. Talks about their visit to the Savage Land and how they met Kazar. Uh, and it was the first time that he realized, Cyclops that is, that Jean was the most important thing in his life because she was about to be sacrificed to a Tyrannosaurus Rex. As I recall, Cyclops wasn't even there when that happened. I don't recall one way or the other, but I do remember something along the lines. And this happened multiple times where Cyclops would say, uh, if we make it out of here, come heck or high water, I'm going to tell her how I feel. And I, I believe he did that in this issue. Because I, I think it was Angel and Jean Grey who were tied up. And, and Angel, Angel was the one who saved them from the dangerous Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah. So he, I mean... He he promised, he vowed to tell her, but he didn't. So, but anyways, uh, the next uh, memory he talks about is the stranger. Um, and I guess the only reason he mentions the stranger here is because he talks about how he took Magneto and Toad with him to the stars, vowing to never return. I can't say I was sorry to see them go. Here's something that I thought should have been retconned uh they talk about the coming of the juggernaut and they say that the cerebro's mutant alarm heralded the arrival of a foe whose raw power and ferocity was as awesome as his hate his name was kane marco but we know that kane marco is not a mutant so cerebro's mutant alarm shouldn't have done squat that's true (laughs) (laughs) i didn't even notice that but that's not retconned and that's exactly how it happened in the uh the issue, as I recall, they're like, oh, my God, Cerebro's never been so loud or f- ferocious. Well, maybe what they're not explaining is that the professor had a special alarm that doesn't uh, detect mutants, but detects juggernauts. <laughs> okay, sure. Well, I mean, he is his brother, so he'd be like, I know his brain waves. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they talk about how they did some teamwork, and with the help of uh, Human Torch, they were able to get his helmet off, and the professor was able to do some cybolting type stuff. And that's how they defeated Juggernaut, and then we get to learn about Boulevard Trask again, and we see Master Mold and the X-Men fighting Sentinels. And that's when uh, the critical environment decides, yeah, the rest of it, we can kind of skip ahead. It's time to fast forward through some of this stuff. <laughs> it is, this is very much like a VCR on fast forward. I do like, I mean, you get to see the onion head guy, uh, Lucifer. He's So he's there. Uh, Count Nefaria, Mimic, the porcupine. I don't even remember these guys, but those <laughs> Silver Age villains. Man. <laughs> uh, looks uh, like... Cobalt man in the corner there. Yep. And then uh, there's, I think one of the, this is super adaptoid is in there. Banshee is in there. Uh, Merlin. Uh, which one's, oh, Merlin. Yep. And then there's uh, the locust. Oh yeah. The locust. <laughs> He's in there. And then who's the guy that's in front of locust? Um, oh, What was his oh, name? Oh, Kukul like? cool, cool Khan, right? Oh, Kukul cool, cool Khan. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean... He's not talking about him, but at least John Byrne's like, hey, I'll just draw a big montage of all these guys. I honestly wish that this Master Mold panel wasn't here and it was just like a three-quarters page of all of those crappy villains. Because <laughs> that would have made kind of a cool wallpaper for a computer or a poster. Just like, 
here's kind of the crap from the X-Men, you know, at least that we're paying them tribute, but let's forget they ever happened to move on. <laughs> and uh, Jean was an undergraduate student at Metro University. I don't know if she ever graduated, but I, des- I resolved during Bobby's 18th birthday to let her know how I felt. So this is the this to me is the biggest retcon of this entire issue. Is this when Warren introduced Candy Southern to them, or is that also a retcon? I I I I'm I know that Angel introduced everybody to Candy Southern in this, uh, just like it, it's happening in this issue. So I would assume it's during Iceman's uh, birthday. Now was this also when the biker gang jumped through the window yeah. and was driving around and stuff? Exactly. So I don't think that that's a retcon because I think in the same issue, the angel is like, oh, Gene doesn't love me, so I'm going to move on. And that's when he's like, you got a phone call or something from Candy. Hmm. And certainly in here, Cyclops is like, oh, I'd buy everything I hold holy. I will tell Gene how I feel. And in the issue proper, he never did. Right. But apparently... <laughs> <laughs> It was a beautiful evening, perfect for a lover's stroll through Central Park. We must have walked and talked for hours. I don't remember how much of my childhood, except in nightmares. I used to have a lot of them. I'd be falling through flames. I'd see faces, a man, a woman, my folks, I guess. I'll never know for sure. I was in the hospital for over a year. After I was found, the doctors said I suffered from some brain damage. That accounts for my amnesia. (laughs) And the professor thanks for why I can't control my optic. Blasts. Did yes. I read that wrong? Yes, but that's oh, okay. Thinks, and the professor you thinks. Get the, you get the point. <laughs> and he was never adopted. The orphanage was the only home he knew until he ran away, saying, oh, this isn't easy, Jean. I, I love you from the moment I set my eyes on you. And she's like, shut up, God. <laughs> Just kiss me again. And they kiss. And that's the same night that the professor was kidnapped by Factor 3. And then he even talks... Uh, about, like, we did all these things that had nothing to do with Factor 3 for a while. <laughs> yeah. While we searched for the professor, we faced a number of threats that had nothing to do with his kidnapping. So we get to see, um, well, that's the head of Factor 3 in the lower right-hand corner. Right. Uh, uh, there's so They hooked up with Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, and there's Juggernaut, and there's Mole Man, and who are the other two? I don't know who the yellow-headed guy is. He was the guy who was opposing Mole Man. I remember that issue. God, I don't remember. That was during, like, the mists, right? The amnesiac mists or something? Yeah, and they ended up both not remembering who each other was. And the guy with the green suit and the orange, like, belts or whatever. I can vaguely remember his story. Yeah, wasn't he, like the brother of the guy that was into Gene or something? Or was that Cobalt Man? I think that was Cobalt Man. I think, or maybe maybe Cobalt Man came back. I don't know. Did, did, didn't this guy want to burn down the library? I don't remember. it turned out his father owned the library? Yeah, I don't remember. It was, this was like a, I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, I can see his face and I can see his like splash pose, but I can't for the life of me recall what it was he did. Yeah, I think he was a college student though. I think you're right. I think he was going to go with that. Definitely affiliated with Metro College. And, and his father was some sort of bigwig. Yeah, he wanted to get some revenge. I, I'm vaguely recalling the story. He ends up not burning down a building and saying, Dad, I'm sorry. And then he just like gives up the whole either superhero or supervillain game. Like, I don't think we ever see this character again. Right. <laughs> uh, and then we talks about how they get some different uniforms that Gene made for them. 
It's time they look like individuals, not products of an assembly line. And then they fought grotesque. And at the end of that battle, the professor was dead. Indeed. And uh, and then the FBI split them up. Oh, yeah. Or the government, I guess, split them up. And Bobby meets Lorda Dane and Mesmero kidnaps her. And uh, then it turns out that Lorna Dane is the daughter of Magneto, but then that proves to be a vicious deception. Magneto, who had previously escaped from the stranger's world, was not Lorna's father. He merely claimed to be in order to entice her into joining his cause. He failed. No mention that he later turned out to be a robot. (laughs) That's right. I think they want to forget that, too. They're like, that was such a stupid idea. But then I almost wonder if it was because that was that was Roy Thomas and um, uh, Jim Starenko, I think. Oh yeah, that was Starenko. But we didn't find out until much later, until the Neil Adams run, that it, that Magneto was a robot. You're right. Okay, so Starenko brought Magneto back. Neil Adams is like he's a robot. Let's move on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's funny. I wonder if if it truly in the Marvel method, if Roy Thomas got those pages and he's like, what? <laughs> All right, whatever. <laughs> just starts writing like he's a robot. I uh, this is interesting that Lorna Dane is not Magneto's daughter at this point in continuity. I believe that will be uh, retconned again. I don't even know at this point, Adam. I I think I'm just living on an assumption that she's Magneto's daughter. I don't know that I've actually read a page of comic book that says she actually is. I think I have. Okay, and it was in the much uh, maligned. Uh, what is the name of that guy? The guy that wasn't Grant Morrison. Oh, Joe Joe Casey? I think it was in the Joe Casey run, or maybe the guy after Joe Casey. I don't know. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, then he talks about, uh, in a kind of a lackluster fashion, the introduction of Alex and his graduation. Nothing like, and then, because I'm a jerk and didn't tell my friends anything, I introduced them to my brother. <laughs> We'd been separated in the orphanage. He'd been adopted while I'd been in the hospital in a coma. Professor X helped me to track him down, and we'd stayed in close touch ever since. I feel like that's kind of a retcon, too. Oh, yeah, that's definitely a retcon. Because I don't think, I think when he introduced Alex, he said, I don't know. I, I thought that they were both in the orphanage, and Alex got adopted away, and he was not in the hospital at that point. But yeah. what, whatever. Retcon. <laughs> talks about his relationship to the living pharaoh and the living monolith. Mm-hmm. They were symbiotes drawing power from one another. We get to see that awesome sky ship of theirs flying around the living monolith. Pew. Which feeds right into another sentinel story where Alex gets captured by a sentinel. Which is where we learn that Magneto is in fact a robot. Yeah, but we don't talk about it here. Oh, no. (laughs) Bolivar Trask, it turned out, had a son, Larry, who thought the X-Men had killed his father and who meant to pick up with Bolivar left off. We found we couldn't outfight these Sentinels. Fortunately, I managed to outthink them. I convinced them that since all life on Earth is the result of ongoing natural genetic mutation, they could only fulfill their prime directive by attempting to neutralize the source of that mutation, namely... The sun. Exit the sentinels and good riddance. Except that they came back. Except that they came back. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess not in the pages of the X-Men. Um, from there, they met Dr. Lycos. They found out that Dr. Lycos was uh, Sauron. Of course, Sauron only became Sauron because he was feeding on the delicious power that Alex was emanating. I like how they say that... Uh, 
Sauron is a humanoid pterodactyl with hypnotic illusion powers that put both Mesmero and Mastermind to shame. Which made me realize there are a lot of hypnotic illusion-powered mutants. Yeah, I mean, think about it, though. There's not, I mean, there's only so many powers that you can come up with. It's just the package that they put them in. So they talk about their journey to Tierra del Fuego, in which uh, Sauron presumably took his own life. We know that he didn't. Uh, They re-meet up with Magneto. Uh, We get a, no mention of, but we get to see a picture of Lorelai. That's true. We get to see uh, Magneto's funky new costume. Angel in his Magneto angel suit. That's right. This, <laughs> this, of course, being the real Magneto. Yes. Yes. No longer the robot. And uh, no mention of his mental powers, by the way. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> the introduction of Sunfire, who's just kind of misguided and was kind of mad at his father, but in the end turned out to be a good dude. And after fighting Sunfire, they come back to find that the Professor Xavier Dick is alive. <laughs> He was just away for a project. Xavier said it was a necessary deception. I wondered. All the pain, the grief, we suffered. Had it all been nothing? I thought it cruel. <laughs> well, not in the pages of X-Men you didn't. No. no. Everyone was like, what? You're alive? Nobody was like, you're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get a rendering, a re-rendering of a Xenox and the attack and how the professor... Uh, used everybody's, I don't know, what did he do? He took, like, everybody's goodness and channeled it through uh, Lorna and Avok to blast the Xenox away or something. Essentially, yes. And it says here, and thereby unknowingly set in motion a cosmic tragedy. Uh, What is this cosmic tragedy that they're talking about? Well, this, when the professor connected all of humanity, that is when Lalandra first discovered and connected to Professor Xavier, which sets into motion her... Uh, fleeing to Earth to meet up with the X-Men to help. Yeah, we'll learn more about that later. Oh, okay. So this is just setting up another story. Interesting. We see Thing and Spider-Man as some of the people that are connected. I don't remember if we saw Thing and Spider-Man in the issue proper, but when John Byrne went and did his Hidden Years, there was a Fantastic Four, uh, I don't know, chapter, if you will, where Reed Richards is like, Professor... Have you gone mad? If you take everybody's will like that without their knowledge, do you know what you've set in motion? And then they go into space. And this is actually the point where uh, John Byrne's uh, retcon stuff, had they actually happened, would have occurred, mm-hmm. proving that the hidden years never happened. <laughs> Why is that? Because Cyclops would be thinking about it. Oh, yeah. And then oh, we did. And then we traveled to the savage, because he's, he's having a deep thought right now. Yeah. He's. I mean, this is like a full-page comic of a guy thinking about uh, his entire life, and he he just skipped over the entire Hidden Years? Yeah, well, because in the Hidden Years, they went back to the Savage Land, they met Magneto again, there was a Sentinel. I mean, some big stuff happened, so he definitely would not leave those out of these memories. So there you go. Hidden Years never happened. Moving on. <laughs> uh, he briefly covers what happened between the Xenox issue and the, the showing up of the new X-Men, and really it's just talking about how Beast changed forms, and he doesn't really talk about it, so nobody nobody really knows yeah. how it happened. Even now, he's hiding his true features under a mask of his old face. Since then, he quit Brand to join the Avengers. I hope he's happy with them. He deserves it. We all do. So, Lilandra is there, and Lilandra has some fairly alien features about her. 
I guess she's wearing some sunglasses if you look at that first panel, but I don't know. Don't you think that they would have found, like, a mutant sympathizer priest? I mean, why are they hiding their faces? Well, it's I guess it's Beast's choice. I mean, we find out later that Nightcrawler is not using his image inducer. Hmm. He's he's just kind of hiding. Oh, yeah, he's hiding in a tree. Well, spoilers. Anyways, uh, then we get the introduction of the new team. Uh, they're all there. Uh, this is where the the issue kind of gets less interesting for me. Um, it's interesting how now Chris Claremont is kind of retconning himself. Where does he by do that? Skipping over storylines that were not that exciting. Well, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily a retcon or if it's just like Scott is in his internal monologue. I mean, think about it. This is Scott's memory. So, I mean, your memories are always somewhat different from reality so you would probably skip over the boring stuff and only think about like the exciting important stuff but would you forget that magneto was a baby <sighs> that was not chris claremont's fault i mean chris claremont just no, had it to wasn't. i'm just you know that's just a thing that he would remember yeah. Oh, and then, remember the crazy time the Magneto was a baby? <laughs> <laughs> well, but he wasn't, he wasn't, Cyclops wasn't actually there when he was turned into a baby. Mm, and I suppose not. He wasn't really there. There's a good chance that Cyclops doesn't even know that the Magneto was ever a baby, if you think about it. Well, he doesn't mention the whole part where, uh, you know, the the guy that dresses up as uh, Cyclops's villainous alter ego shows up. Oh, what was his name? Uh... Red... Betty <laughs> red. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well that was again. I, yeah. I mean, props to, to Chris Claremont for like writing him. Well, no, he was the one that brought him back. I mean, there's no reason to actually bring that character back. So he wrote him out. <laughs> yeah. He did not write out, out however, the Annie men. No, they're, they're, they're a fairly important uh, piece of the story because there's also mention here of Thunderbird and his death and how this is when, things got real for the x-men did it take thunderbird's death to make me realize the true cost of mistake i keep remembering what aurora asked me not long ago if this was the life i imagined for myself when i was young was this the life any of us imagined for ourselves and then uh, we see a scene of gene and cyclops out at a dance or something and some sentinels uh tear into the building and take him out to space the professor left on a vacation, apparently. Right. Is that what happened? Yes. The professor was having his nightmares and went to... Mirror Isle, right? It wasn't Mirror Island. It was some other property that he used to spend time with Moira. Like, it was like his bachelor pad. Mm. I don't know if you remember that. Or maybe he, he... I don't remember. I don't think he went to Mirror Island, though. I might be mixing up stories, though, with classic X-Men. He does get kidnapped by the Sentinels, though, doesn't he? Uh, he boat? Yes, he's on a boat with uh, Peter Corbo, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Anyways, uh, so then the next scene is, you'll never forget the 72 hours that followed uh, with Stephen Lang and his space station. No mention of the X-Sentinels, but... No. <laughs> but anyways, the flare of the radiation, it's starting to get through with Scott. And of course, we recognize that as the birth of phoenix in the shuttle as it's crashing towards jamaica bay and then xavier sends the x-men to ireland for a vacation while i stayed in gene with new york and they end up fighting juggernaut and black tom cassidy and then they regroup and fight magneto no longer a baby and then uh, lilandra finally shows up and introduces herself to the professor 
and they fall in love and then they go to the McCarran crystal and neutron galaxy and gene does some stuff by binding some things with anti-energy yeah. <laughs> uh, blah blah she that saves good. yes she saves the universe we remember that and then uh, cyclops talks about their very long adventure back uh by which they get attacked by vindicator kidnapped okay. by mesmero stuck in uh, magneto's volcano base and then they thought that Gene and Beast were dead, and Scott says that he grieved for Hank, but Gene, he felt nothing. He was numb, hurt so deeply that he dared not let himself feel it. At the time, I and some X-Men thought it was because I didn't care. Certainly, Colleen would agree with that. <laughs> I'm not going to think about her, though, in this flashback. <laughs> or at all. And then there's another kind of like, this is kind of like the low period of the new run where we went back to see Kazar and Sauron and God, the the guy in the Savage Land. I can't remember his name. The Rocky Sun guy. King or something. Something like that. Moses Mayhem, uh, Alpha Flight, and then Arcade. Yep. This one panel here really was a low point. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then he talks about how uh, Gene met Jason Wingard. Uh, who we better know as Mastermind. It says here his real name, ironically enough, is Jason Wingard. I didn't know that. I thought Mastermind had some other name. No, I, I don't think his name was ever revealed in any of those original uh, issues. So his name very well could be Jason Wingard. And, it, you know, it wouldn't matter. Like, nobody would be like, oh, my God, that's Mastermind. Right. Uh, his hookup with the Hellfire Club, and they meant to rule the world, and... Moira McTaggart did some uh, tests on Phoenix to find the limits of her power. Only to discover she was naked all the time. And then we get a panel of Moira hanging off a deranged, well, Proteus uh, possessed, what was his name? Husband? I don't remember what his name was. Yes. Joe. Husband. <laughs> Joe. What? No, not Joe. Husband McTaggart. Yeah, I think it was go. Joe. Joe McTaggart. I think you're right. And uh, reality bending stuff. He was the kind of mutant the X-Men had been formed to combat. Uh, his one regret was they had to fight him to the death, but it was necessary. You know, no mention of Cyclops about how Banshee lost his powers, essentially. No mention of Banshee at all, really. <laughs> Doesn't really care about Banshee so much. I guess we get two panels of Banshee. We get him when he was a villain of Factor 3, and then we get uh, one of his when they have the little portrait of all of the new X-Men. But yeah, that's it. Actually, doesn't doesn't really talk about Moira McTaggart until this point either, and she's been pretty important you know, with them for quite a while. This is, a, but he just first mentions her, and to Moira McTaggart, Xavier's longtime colleague in mutant research. Yeah. Uh, then he talks about seeing uh, things having a way of balancing out after Proteus was dead. They found Kitty Pride, and she's spunky. <laughs> Wasn't there something that happened in between Proteus and Kitty Pride? Yeah, it was more Hellfire Club stuff, I think. What happened when the when the, the guy invaded uh and then like invaded the the danger room and set up the triggers so that the Hellfire Club <laughs> could watch the danger room? I don't remember. What was that guy's name? The guy that looked like Colossus. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. No mention of him. And what what about the the time that the professor turned to evil professor? Did that happen? Yeah, that was like an, an issue. It was like a filler issue. That Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, no mention of that. I don't know the professor went evil, but it was... Was it evil professor or was it like a like a danger room amalgamation? I thought it was a evil version of the professor's psyche. Yeah, and he's like, 
I have to keep these thoughts and these feelings at bay all the time for this is what could happen if I let go. And then essentially the professor is a phoenix in waiting. Yeah, no kidding. So I wonder why the Shi'ar aren't like professor. <laughs> we need You're to, next. <laughs> we need to destroy you. Uh, and then we get a, a, a portrait of the Hellfire Club and uh, Jean in her Hellfire Club garb. Indeed, and then we see her as Dark Phoenix, the Black Angel Chaos Bringer, Ravager of Worlds, and we learn that she uh, destroys five billion people. And uh... Cyclops does say that I was getting to her. She was the woman I loved. I was reaching her when the professor stepped in. I used reasoned. He used force. Who's to say which of us had the better way? Dick. <laughs> Again, the professor. I almost think that Chris Claremont doesn't like the professor. <laughs> kind of seems like it. Either that or it's John Byrne who keeps penciling him like, yeah, I'm just going to make him do this dick move. Chris, you fill in the <laughs> word balloons. I asked her to marry me. She said yes. Happy ending. Not so. Enter little Andra, determined to eliminate Phoenix, Phoenix as a threat once and for all. And we see her get shot by that gun again. When her Imperial Guard failed, Jean finished the job herself. And we're now back in the present. Professor's being comforted by Mr. Gray. <laughs> He's thinking to himself, this is pain beyond pain. I never knew a body could feel so hurt and still a function. I'm not sure if I want to call this living. <laughs> how are you bearing up, Scott? I know how much you love Jean and she you. I know how hard all this must be. Don't worry about me, sir. I'll be fine. How about you and Mrs. Gray? Hanging in there. Surviving. <laughs> Lilandra, she shows up. She's got a little ball. Even though this is all Lilandra's fault, really, if you think about well, it. Well, it's not really her fault. I mean, it's Phoenix's fault, but... But still, I mean, Lilander's the one that said, like, you must come and fight. Because who's to say that those little psychic circuit breakers wouldn't have held? We don't know that. Nobody knows that at this point. That's true. She offers a gesture of a gift, which is a holempathic matrix crystal. If he touches it, she will. he will see a three-dimensional image of Jean and also feel the essence of her personality as well. This way, a part of her will always be with him, and um, she doesn't have two of these, so Scott's out of luck. And for some reason, in a different font, Mr. Gray says, thank you. Um, I, I got a question. Uh, there was an earlier issue where Lilandra's laying in her bed, and she had a globe of the professor. Do you think it's the same technology? Probably. Mm. She just goes up to it, touches it, and is like, ah, you're here with me. <laughs> oh, professor. This is why I'm okay with you leaving. <laughs> why didn't she give one of these to scott too why didn't she give one to the whole team that's a good question maybe the shiar budget's limited <laughs> we can only afford one and well we feel like it should go to the family so screw you guys we're out of here well i guess it's time i said goodbye says cyclops nightcrawler jumps out of tree and out of a tree and says why aren't you coming with us no, Kurt, I'm leaving the X-Men. No, professor. Scott, no. Wait, no, Kurt, I'm leaving the X-Men professor. That's weird. Anyway, whatever. No, Kurt. Oh, well, he's, no, Kurt, I'm leaving the X-Men professor. It should be two different word balloons. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I expected as much. Will you be back? I don't know, you're kind of a dick. <laughs> I just had a lot of time to think, and I've really come to the realization that you're a jerk. You're selfish, and you do only self-serving things. I don't know that I'll be back. 
I will miss you, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> if you were my son, my own flesh and blood, I could not be more proud of you than I have in the past, uh, in these past days. I wish you well. They all leave, save Cyclops, who kind of overlooks the graveyard kind of creepily. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we turn our attention to a cab pulling up to a mansion on, what, Gray Malkin Lane in Westchester County ta- Township. And it carries a single passenger who looks around at the old venerable mansion, excited to be here, wondering why no one's come to greet her. So it's Kitty. She's got a pink cap and a pink jacket. But underneath the pink jacket, it looks like she has a bedazzled shirt that says ITC. And I'm betting to the left and the right is a B and an H. So she's just That's got... That's what I was guessing. I was going to ask you. <laughs> she's just got this bedazzled shirt that says bitch on it. <laughs> oh, that's another thing that Cyclops skipped over. Dazzler. Oh, yeah. Like, well, we met this disco singer, but the hell with her. Yeah, no, no mention of Dazzler. And she was supposed to be like a big draw. Like, we're going to make Dazzler movies? You'd think that they'd want to include her somehow. But yeah, the introduction of Kitty Pride. Uh, she's about to become the newest and youngest pupil in Charles Xavier's school. The X-Men will never be the same again. The beginning. All right, we get the end is in the panel where they're driving away. Really? Oh, yes, you do. I didn't even see that. The end paralleled with the beginning. It's kind of uh, typical dickishness of the professor that... He should schedule Kitty to arrive when no one's home. Yeah. He's like, please arrive at the mansion promptly at four o'clock. And he gets off the phone and Cyclops is like, aren't we there until five? Yes, Scott. I have my reasons. (laughs) Do not question me. All right. I suppose you know what you're doing. I'm going to quit this team. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. So this is actually, it's a, it's a good issue. It's, it's kind of redundant. Uh, it was kind of redundant to me because we've been reading these uh, with such frequency. But for somebody who's new to the comic or for somebody who maybe is a long-time reader that just hasn't read all those old issues, it is a good way to get caught up. And in fact, these days... Um, yeah, we could use more of these. <laughs> no kidding. Well, uh, uh, Robert Kirkman's pretty good about doing exactly this where he'll... Not so much in Walking Dead, but in Invincible, every 30 or 40 issues, he'll put out kind of a a memories issue. But it's all new art, all new dialogue and everything, but just kind of rehashes everything he's done to bring on new readers, which is a really good idea. We should we should actually probably do a, a segment of the next issue of Danger Room will be like, remember the time when we talked about X-Men number six? Oh, man, that was so cool. Remember when you were sick? <laughs> and we couldn't record or I had that cool oh, voice. Remember when I got my nose surgery? Oh, man, that was wild. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it could be the commentary for the commentary. Exactly. <laughs> no, let's not do that. Okay. <laughs> so um, we did get some communique um i got a couple of things on the facebook um well actually uh, something from the twitter through the facebook uh edward gibson the third who monitors our twitter feed let us know that adam lafferty uh asks set uh he says he loves the show is there any way to guest on one of your episodes lol hashtag you're awesome we should we should get that trending although i don't really know what that means (laughs) (laughs) um yeah you know i don't know about about guest hosting that that's an interesting idea i'd i'd want to pitch as to like this is what i'm going to bring to the podcast 
because you run the risk, like you bring a guest host on and they're like, yeah, I really like the X-Men boobies. And then they're gone. And you're like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. What do you think, Adam? Oh, I, 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 yeah, I, I think it, uh, uh, send us your pitch. Uh, send us, send us some, a recording of you talking about a comic book or something. One idea that we had a long time ago that never, nobody ever took us up on was calling us at 501-GET-X-Men, which you could do for free from your cell phone. And recording a bit of your own commentary for one of our upcoming episodes. Like if there's a, a panel or a segment, or even if you just want to read one of the word balloons, you could totally just do that over the 501 Get X-Men number. In that way, everybody can uh, uh, be a part of the, the podcast. Absolutely. So I'll, we'll throw that idea out again. And if you're really, truly interested, that's... that's... I don't know. Guest hosting is like a... Let's put it this way. If you're a celebrity, you can guest host. <laughs> yeah, if we can get Grant Morrison on here or John Byrne or Chris Claremont, I mean, they can – I won't even talk. I'll just listen. <laughs> if you're going to bring us uh, more a greater audience, you can definitely uh, guest host. There you go. What can you do or for us? Or are willing to pay us. <laughs> oh, is that our new fundraising technique? Yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah, so 501 Get X-Men – do 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 some pages or, or do a few panels and uh and uh yeah i, I would certainly entertain editing that in um we also got a uh, another post on facebook from daniel Tudon, who is working hard to get cut up did 14 hours straight this weekend in the meantime one fastball special and he sends a photo of his fastball uh fastball special which he put in a wolverine uh glass which this, I have this glass. This glass, this Wolverine is uh, from Classic X Men number one. It's uh, it's part of a collection of four Marvel glasses. There was, uh, I think, Spider Man, the Hulk, and Captain America are the other ones. It's very possible, Adam, that I've drank out of these glasses at your house. It's more than possible. It's <laughs> probable. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I can't imagine listening to fourteen hours of us. I was thinking about this as I was reading it. And I was like, I don't think my wife has listened to 14 hours of me in the past, I don't know, 14 <laughs> weeks. <laughs> so, uh, sorry, Daniel, too done. You must have a enormous headache. Uh, and then also just a quick shout out to Georgie V. He's been, uh, busily promoting us on Twitter. Definitely like to see this. He goes beyond the actual retweeting of a, of a tweet to actually being like, Oh man, check out this tag us i think i'm saying all that right right adam <laughs> I, I don't know <laughs> so so thanks for that spreading the good word anybody else out there in uh, tweetville who wants to be like oh my gosh at danger room go hashtag you're awesome that would be cool so yes if you would like to take advantage of any of those go to uh, www.facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast or you can follow us at danger room go you can email us at dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. You can go out to iTunes, go into the podcast section, search for Danger Room. We'll come right up. You can subscribe. You can uh, post a comment. Give us a five-star review. You can also go to www.xmenpodcast.com, where all of the episodes are, all the links are, uh, and you can post a comment there if you uh, have a particularly favorite episode uh, and then join in the fun in those mechanisms or take advantage of 501 get x-men here yourself on the danger room yeah <laughs> uh, and now the moment 
that I've certainly been waiting for for a very long time, and I hope most of you have been as well. The final, last, no more, finito, classic X-Men. Number 44. Uh, The February 1990 issue released December 26th of 1989, the day after Christmas, which I assume was Marvel's gift to us all, the very last classic X-Men bonus story. Thank you, Marvel. Yes, thank you very much. The cover of this one, uh, nicely enough, in the upper left-hand corner uh, where you generally have faces of X-Men, you have the old image from the old X-Men, so it's all of them in their old costumes. Angel, Beast, Iceman, Marvel Girl, Cyclops. And this is the first time we see the uh, Marvel Comics uh, kind of Comic Sans logo. Oh, you mean the kind of like handwritten comics, the... Definitely ushering in uh, the 90s or... Over the big M, yeah. The popular 90s anyways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And on the cover of this is instead of a splash screen of random covers, you get uh, an assortment of characters throughout time, which is kind of nice. I wish they would have colored these in, though, I think. That's pretty neat. I really like Krakoa. Krakoa is very good. I think it's as if he started on Krakoa. But when you get down to Juggernaut, you're like, ah, this guy ran out of steam. <laughs> he doesn't look very good. But you got Quicksilver. You got Magneto. You got Vanisher. There's a Sentinel. Spider-Man's in there. Blob's in there. Uh, there's a guy above Blob who's, like, got no mouth. I don't know who that is. Uh, he looks familiar, but can't place him. Uh, Toad is in there above Juggernaut. And... There might be some other, like maybe Zebu is right above Vanisher, maybe, but I can't tell. That might just be background. The flying girl is an Annie man. Oh, yep. An Annie woman. I totally missed her. And that's about it. And underneath all of them is uh, Jean Grey, rest in peace. And Cyclops is running away from it all with smoke billowing out from his visor. And the super adaptoid is directly above Juggernaut. How can you tell? Oh, you just, I recognize his uh, goggles. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So uh, the the cover, by the way, is it's a Steve Lytle, last, well, the last Steve Lytle we'll see. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And the story that we will be reading is called Her uh, Her First and Last. It's written by Anne Nocenti, drawn by Kieran Dwyer, inked by Hilary Barda, lettered by Joe Rosen, and colored by Glynis Oliver. And I like this one. Uh, the inside front piece is kind of lame. It's just a bunch of uh, characters of some of the X-Men, but not all of them. And they're not very good. No, they're bad. Nightcrawler is terrible. Angel is awful. Angel is bad. Angel's like a sketch. Like, that's something that somebody draws at a con where you're like, can you draw a face of Angel? He's like, here you go. Five dollars, please. Uh, yeah, they're all pretty bad. And there's like a little, there's like a little fire underneath all of them for some reason. And then it looks like some the the line of somebody's hair at the bottom. It does. I don't know if they were going for like a silhouetted uh, um, landscape or if they were going for like Jean's hair. I don't know what's going on down here. But anyways, her first and last. This is a story about Rogue. Spoilers. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it's about her and uh, a boy who... This boy can't keep it in his pants. Like, he really, really wants to kiss her a lot. Well, she's one of those super cool girls that you're hanging around with, and she's all fun and exciting, and, you know, I want to kiss her. Yeah, but he's, like, super aggressive, like, we're having fun, we're having... Now, kiss me. Kiss me. Kiss me. Why won't you kiss me? (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't say he's that aggressive. I'd say he's just a typical boy. Okay. He's not shy about it. 
Cripes, girl. Kissing don't ruin nothing. Kissing's fun. Meet you at the cliff later. But no, I can't. Now go home, Freddy. You'll be there. And there's a woman who pulls up in a car who uh, walks up to Rogue and she turns from normal skin to blue skin and high top white boots. And it's Mystique. Spoilers. <laughs> For some reason, she says, Rogue, darling. And she says, what? She screams for some reason. <laughs> you were spying on me. So at this point, like, I find this kind of weird. Like, I understand that in continuity, or this, you said this is 1989 or 1990? Yeah. Um, we don't know what Mystique's, well, I don't know if we know if Mystique's name is Raven Darkholm. I don't know if we know No, that. we do, because that's how she was. You're right. She was introduced as Raven Darkholm in Miss Marvel. Okay. But we don't. I don't think she was Mystique yet. And we don't know. We definitely don't know what Rogue's real name is, and yet everybody's calling each other Rogue and Mystique, which I think is weird. Like, if this is truly home, wouldn't they be like, Raven, you you, you suck. Go to your room, Marie. Yeah, I suppose, but, you know. Whatever. Yeah. But they didn't want to cross that uh, threshold at this point anyways. Um, at this point, so what age would you put Rogue in this story? Uh, Thirteen. I would have put her at a little little older, like maybe 14 or 15. But th th this definitely seems to be leading up to Avengers number or annual number 10. Um, okay. Spoilers for you, I guess, <laughs> or for everybody else. Because in this, they keep talking about a mission. And I would assume that that's the mission that they're after is, is what happens in annual 10. But anyways, uh, so Rogue has her powers right now. Mystique is like, you got to stay away from boys because you can't touch them. And Rogue's like, and I want to... Like, you guys can do what I want to do. I want to love. I want to play. We have a mission for you, and you can do more important things than play, says Mystique, but Rogue runs away. I don't want to go on any mission. I want to be normal. I want to play. There is nothing more important to me. Stay away from that boy, or you'll be sorry. So do you think Mystique has a southern drawl, or do you think she's got a German accent? I think she probably has a... I don't know. <laughs> or is it both? <laughs> I think she sounds like Jennifer Lawrence. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's not very creative, Adam. Here, I'm trying to think. <laughs> what would that sound like? <laughs> oh, wait. I know what that sounds like. Uh, Destiny comes out, and she says, uh, you better be good, or else I perceive that she's going to part ways, because she doesn't like our darker ways. Well, she, does, she not only says she... She she might. She says she will. Right. Mystique, uh, even though Mystique knows that Destiny is a precog, is like, well, you have a good foresight, but uh, I'm her mother. I want to protect her. Well, is is she her mother? She's not really her mother. No. Uh, Mystique. She's acting as her mother. Mystique is Rogue's foster mother. Right, right. And then I think, isn't it revealed like way later on that Mystique and Destiny are like lesbian lovers or something? I thought it was revealed that, I don't know, I, I, I get confused. I thought Destiny was actually Mystique's mother. I don't know, that could be, I have no idea. Maybe we'll find out as we read, but it's just I mean, a... There was, there was the theory that uh, Mystique and Destiny were supposed to be Nightcrawler's mother and father, but that never happened. Yeah, the theory where Mystique would uh, be, a, be a man and impregnate Destiny. The only problem I have with that theory is that Destiny is like 80 here. Right. <laughs> Anyways, a lot of dandelions flying around in this panel, um, and she's like, fine, let her have her boys. When she's broken, we'll take advantage of her. <laughs> or something like that which is sort of what happens 
So the cliff that the boy, whatever his name was, was talking about, uh, Rogue totally meets him out there. She finds a rope and she's swinging around on it. Because and... no girl has ever swung around on it. And, light, and Rogue likes to do daring things that no girl has ever done. And uh, he, he actually says, like, oh, it might be rotten. You might hurt yourself and fall. But she doesn't. She she gets up on it. She swings all around. And she swings up into his arms. And she or he catches Rogue. And he's like, now I got you. And he goes in for a kiss again. And she's like, no. Oh, why not? You never you, you take risks everywhere else. I dare you. And that does the trick. And she gives him a wallop of a kiss. She kisses him, and as she kisses him, she gets, uh, he falls unconscious. She goes tumbling away, I guess, off the cliff. And as she's falling down the cliff, she sees all of his memories. Well, she doesn't fall down the cliff. Her legs get tangled in the rope. Okay, so she's swinging on that rope. Yeah. And apparently his memories are of getting a puppy, seeing some fireworks, his dad shooting his horse, uh, him having a cigarette with some older boys, one of which is wearing a Spider-Man shirt, them paddling down the Mississippi in their underwear, waving at a riverboat. This is really well written. I like. I mean, I like. I like how they they put this in the way that you know he would have told he her these stories slowly, naturally in time, but and she would have unlocked his stories slowly, like a delicious mystery to be solved. Right. You know, it's like life. Yeah. You you slowly unravel your lover or your partner's stories and she's she's revealing she's learning them all at the same time right and it's it's really well written yep cameo uh, from superman strangely enough he sees her, her his father hitting her mother him crying over rusty who's probably that animal that he got on christmas earlier uh somebody attending a kkk rally uh, and yeah. definitely delusions of grandeur as he's standing in his underwear, seeing Superman in the mirror, somebody getting into a fight, him playing on that self-same rope that she's hanging him from right now. And then I think, is she imagining herself getting married to him? That's weird. That I didn't understand because it's like she's seeing the future. Yeah. Interesting that the Superman here, the S is upside down. Oh, I didn't even notice that. It's probably because <laughs> I don't really follow Superman. <laughs> uh, she the rope gives way but fortunately she was swinging towards the cliff face so she lands right next to the boy so she doesn't actually go tumbling down the cliff she realizes as he is awaking uh, awakening that he is going to regain all his memories and she runs away and thinks to herself that she is never going to speak to him ever again well, it's probably like an embarrassment factor. Like, I know all of his secrets. He's going to want to know why he blacked out and what I did to her, and it'll just be awkward. Right. Yeah. He will always wonder why that feisty girl named Rogue, really Rogue, <laughs> kissed him once and would never, ever speak to him again. So I always, like, I mean, in my story, the creation that came up in my head, I always figured that she went by Rogue because this something similar to this had happened and she just wanted to forget and move on. She's like, I'm Rogue. I'm just Rogue. Kind of like what they did in the X-Men movie where she did not introduce herself as Marie. She just said, I'm Rogue. Because she, she just wanted to forget about that old life. But in this, she's just called Rogue for some reason. I'm going to start calling my kid that. <laughs> hey, Rogue. Come here. Get me a, get get dad a beer. <laughs> <laughs> so 
she comes bursting in the house. Destiny and Mystique are in the kitchen. Uh, for some reason, Mystique is just hanging out in her costume. <laughs> well, <laughs> Mystique has got like some, you know, like a skirt and a dress shirt on. But it's kind of it weird. is pretty bizarre. And why is Destiny cooking? She's blind for God's sakes. <laughs> like Mystique should be doing that. But uh, she comes in and she's like, I want cookies and I want to go on the mission and I'm having fun. She's all hopped up and excited. And Mystique's like, are you sick? Why is Mystique making cookies? I don't know. That just doesn't seem like something Mystique would do. Well, you know, outside of villaining, I mean, these people do have home lives. <laughs> uh, if if we prick them, do they not bleed, Adam? So my, <laughs> my question about Mystique's costume is this little strip of white fabric. I mean, that's all that separates her from being completely naked, right? Like underneath that is nudity. Oh, the blue is her skin? Yeah. Oh, wow. I never, I always assumed that was like her, like a pantsuit or something. I don't think so because her, she's got blue skin. So why would she yeah. put like blue fabric on, on top of her blue skin? Well, maybe she's got some white panties or something. <laughs> I don't know. Just the way that they're blowing around you, like at any time, like a door or a breeze comes by, butt cheeks just hanging out <laughs> and worse. Anyway, so she's eating a cookie and she's like, I want to go on the mission. Mystique's like, it's going to be dangerous. Uh, she's like, good, great. You'll have to, I don't care. I'll do anything. And I feel like the very next story for Rogue is uh, Avengers Annual 10. But I also mm -hmm. feel like in Avengers Annual 10, she's like 18, but whatever. Well, maybe the mission happens in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, we got a mission, but we're not going to do it for two years. It's called planning. We're really good at planning. All right. Well, Adam, you got any extracurricular reading? I did. I did some reading, uh, which also ties into Avengers Annual Number 10, uh, Avengers 200, um, which also came out in August or uh, what is it? What are we in October? October of 1980, as did the other issue that I read this week. Um, Carol Danvers gives birth. Uh, it is a painless birth. She doesn't even have to push. And uh, and Wasp is very happy for Carol, but Carol feels like she has been completely used because she just got pregnant three days ago, and she doesn't know who the father is. Is it a Cree? No, it's not a Cree. Oh. Um, we do discover who it is, though. Who is it? Um, Beast and Hawkeye are playing pool, and uh, Beast uses a. I thought this, I just thought this was interesting. He uses a TI fifty nine, which is the top of the line Texas Instrument calculator. That's awesome. So, so we all had one of those at some point. So, so Beast and Hawkeye are the father. Like they double teamed her. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> In one hour, the child grows two years, and very soon, the child names himself Marcus and is five years old. And his intellect is growing exponentially. Carol is avoiding him. And Captain, Marvel, uh, Captain America starts to question him. And Marcus claims that he himself is the father of himself. Kahuki. <laughs> Miss Marvel finally agrees to go see the boy. And when she does, he is now a man. And she feels a peculiar attraction to him. Oh, my God. Is she going to have sex with him and then go back in time? And, no, it's kind of it's even weirder than that. Oh. Uh, meanwhile, uh, timelines have been merging with current timeline, and there are like T Rexes in the old West are appearing in various places and times. And a T Rex is now attacking Avengers Mansion. Uh, Marcus has been building a machine 
this whole time, and he asks Miss Marvel to leave so that he can turn it on. She feels compelled to never leave his side, so Marcus uh, feels like he has to knock her out, which Hawkeye sees and then destroys his machine, and Marcus then cries. Uh, the Avengers all burst in, and Marcus tries to get the Avengers to kill him, but Thor recognizes him and, and uh, reveals that his dad is Amortis, who apparently is an Avengers villain who I've never heard of. Uh, is the king? He's apparently the king of Limbo. What's his name? Amortis? Amortis. I have no idea who that is, and I thought I knew a few things about Limbo. But anyways... Time does not move in Limbo, and uh, Immortus is able to bring a woman who apparently was about to die from from like the Titanic or something um, into uh, Limbo. And using machines, he is able to convince her that he she loves Immortus, and they have a baby, and that baby is Marcus. Uh, eventually, both Marcus's mom and dad die, and he's trapped in Limbo alone. So he, like father, like son, he kidnaps Miss Marvel and woos her. He tries not to use Immortus's machines to woo her, but he ends up using them just a little bit to convince Miss Marvel that she's in love with uh, Marcus. And then he impregnates her with himself, sends her back to the exact same moment where he kidnapped her from, having wiped her memory of the whole scenario. Uh, once she is born, that's what causes all this time jump crap where the timelines are spilling together. But his plan was to build him. He knew this was going to happen, so he was going to build a machine which would stop it, but Hawkeye destroyed the machine. So now the only choices for him are to die or for him to go back to Limbo alone. He was unable to convince the Avengers to kill him, so he decides to go back to Limbo alone. But then Carol Danvers is like, I don't know why, but I feel this strong attraction to you even though you just explained it, it's because of a machine. And she decides to go with him, and the Avengers are like, yeah, that sounds all right, and they let her go. Huh. And they hope that Miss Marvel lives happily ever after, and that is very creepy. That's a very kooky storyline. It's totally kooky, and not only that, but it's creepy. <laughs> he used a machine to convince her to love him. Well, that's one thing, but the whole, like, I am my own father concept is, like, I don't know. And the Avengers are like, yeah, we'll we'll just let you. He's mind controlling you, but we'll let you go with him. That's weird too. But I, I would think that there would be some serious like birth defects and in inbreeding. Like if I impregnated my wife with myself, <laughs> that's like super inbreeding. He's like a scientist. I don't know how it works. Okay. All right. I'm curious how she gets out of limbo to 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 have more stuff happen to her. Yeah. Me too. All right. I also read Marvel 2-in-1 number 68, which came out in October 1980, and this is a Thing and Johnny Storm team-up, or a, a Thing and Angel team-up story, rather. Uh, and uh, Thing and Johnny Storm are at a disco. They meet Angel and Candy Southern there. The bartender spikes Angel's drink, and the Thing takes him to the bathroom to clean up. And we see in the bathroom a uh, familiar A, letter A, and it is a trap, and oh. the bathroom is sucked away from the disco, and Angel and Thing wake up in a dungeon, and they have to escape several traps. A robot Magneto leads them to an artificial swamp. Either did they discover... Guess who? Is it Arcade? It's actually not Arcade. Oh. It's Toad. Oh. Toad uh, also has a robot Scarlet Witch, 
and he has decided that he is seeking revenge against everyone who ever laughed at him, starting with Angel. (laughs) (laughs) That's a weird place to start. Uh, so the swamp is like a danger room and angel and thing start having to fight various, uh, mechanisms. And then Toad's financier, a mysterious Mr. A calls demanding his money now, or he will kill Toad. Is it apocalypse? (laughs) No, it's arcade. Although it's never revealed that it's arcade, but I suppose it could be apocalypse. But that telltale A from earlier in the story leads me to believe that it was Arcade. Okay. Uh, Toad begins to cry. Uh, Angel and Thing manage to defeat all of the things and discover a crying Toad. Angel feels bad and decides to buy the castle and turns it into Toadland, an amusement park, which he allows Toad to run. That's weird. He feels like he has rehabilitated Toad. Okay. That's the story. (laughs) I'm curious to hear what happens next with Toad. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. How does Toad stop running Toadland? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anything else? No, that's it. All right. Um, Well, good. Two wacky issues this month. (laughs) That is very wacky. Well, then, uh, next week we'll do X Men Annual 4, and it's going to be awesome. But until that time, the danger room is closed. (laughs) 